Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Comic Books, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined tonight by two, count them, two fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike calling you from cyberspace. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Tony. Just to let you know, the Wally West in my comic is white. It is not a misprint. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Hell yeah. Who's <laughs> <was> the 80s. <laughs> so we are here tonight. We are doing a random smattering of our patented stories from the spinner rack where we're picking out selected comics that we read in our youth that generally came from spinner racks, grocery dispensers, like all that kind of good stuff. You know, basically anything that did not come from an official, honest-to-goodness, direct market comic shop. And we've got three books tonight with our three fan holes, so I think I'll get into mine right off because we decided we're going to be doing this in chronological order. So mine was actually a book from 1987, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the eldest in this batch of books. And the book I chose for tonight was Superman issue number 11, and this is from the John Byrne reboot. This was on sale August 11th, 1987. It had a cover price of a whopping 75 cents. The title of the story is The Name Game, and it is written and penciled by John Byrne. And I'm just going to go into it and redo my synopsis. Lois Lane breaks her lunch date with Clark Kent after a mysterious white-suited stranger gives her a magical foot massage. Cat Grant offers to get lunch with Clark as Lois runs off with her enigmatic suitor called Ben DeRoy. When John Byrne of the present day lights up his stogie in the fine dining establishment area that they're in, his entire hand lights a flame, yet Lois seems ignorantly oblivious to the man's screams. As they leave the restaurant in a slight drizzle, when Lois 
innocently notes her feet are killing her from all the walking, the pair begin to walk on the air. Nearby, a bratty child sees his toy gorilla turn into a killer beast as DeRoy floats past him. When Jimmy Olsen gets word of additional strange phenomena, he calls the Superman on his signal watch, and the Man of Steel comes flying onto the scene to confront the giant yellow killer gorilla. When it promptly returns to its original toy-like state, the boy's mother tells Superman that this happened because of a mysterious white-suited man who was with Lois Lane. Meanwhile, Lois has already accepted DeRoy's marriage proposal when he suddenly gets tired of her bitch ass and animates a nearby mannequin <laughs> into his next girlfriend. Superman's superhearing next hears a blood-curdling scream and he arrives to find Lois has now become the mannequin in the store display. Once DeRoy and Superman finally cross paths, he quickly deanimates his mannequin companion, breaking her to pieces, and reveals himself to be a being from the fifth dimension. He shows off by transforming Superman into various states of old age, water balloon fatness, Edward E. Newman stupid, and a gigantic cranium Silver Age style. He then turns Superman back to normal and says that would be too easy, and creates a giant typewriter out of thin air and randomly types a name for himself, Mr. Mitz Pitalik. He challenges Superman, promising to return to his home dimension only if the Man of Steel can get him to write or say his newly chosen name backwards. Mr. Mitzietz Pitalik then proceeds to bring chaos to Metropolis. He animates the Daily Planet building Ghostbusters style and has it attack a passing blimp. Superman saves the day by pushing the blimp away from the personified child building, who then begins to cry floods on the citizens below. The Man of Steel has had enough and uses Mr. Mitzietz Pitalik's own giant typewriter to trick the imp into writing his name again. However, Superman has inverted the key so that Mitzitz Pitalik types Kiltik Zixum. The imp honors his word and leaves Earth. When he does, all the effects of his magical pranks have been erased. Later, Superman gives the full scoop to Lois Lane, who is recovering from her ordeal in a hospital bed. Once she is feeling better, she heads over to Clark's apartment to cut the rain check on their missed lunch date. However, when the door to Kent's apartment opens, she finds that Cat Grant has already beaten her to the punch. Cat then slams the door on Lois, telling her if she is just passing through, to keep on going. Clark, oblivious to Lois stopping by, even though he probably has super hearing and knows and is chuckling to himself because she's a dumb bitch, enjoys his lunch date with Cat Grant, and the homeless guy out in the front of the building scores a grocery bag full of goodies, Hell yeah! As Lois walks away, heartbroken. And that is the story in a nutshell of Superman issue number 11. I mean, basically I picked this because I figured it was a good one-and-done story. It is something that I definitely got off... I guess technically I didn't get it off a spinner rack, per se, but I did get it off like one of those kind of like leaning racks where they had like rows of stuff at Safeway. And I mean, I remember the particular Safeway that I got it from. It's not a Safeway anymore. It's actually like some kind of kiddie play center or something where they have like 
those I don't know Chuck E. Cheese plastic balls and like slides and oh, like Discovery Zone yeah, or something. Yeah, so, something like that. They they turned it into that. Like there's a Safeway like across the street from it now. So the Safeway moved, but that building used to be a Safeway. And I remember that's that's where I got this comic book and everything. I mean, for me, like this this was a little weird because I this is technically I think this is like the first issue of like Honest to Goodness Volume Two Superman that I ever bought. Like I bought Man of Steel when it was coming out from some of the spinner racks, and I had like I, it was sort of inconsistent. Like I didn't, you know how like you you couldn't get every issue because you were just like. If it was there, it was there, and if you sort of missed it, you sort of missed it. Like, it wasn't until, like, I had issues 1, 3, 4, and 5 of Man of Steel, and I got all those from the spinner racks, and then, like, I never got 2 and number 6 until I discovered comic book shops and back issues. So, like, and and the other thing was, since I was still learning the ropes, like, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, like, that Man of Steel Superman, that post-crisis Superman, so, like, the rules for Mitzelplik are a little different, and he's not called Mitzelplik, he's, like, Mitziet's Pitalik, and all that, you know, so I'm I'm sort of acclimating myself to the you know, the new post-crisis history and everything. But the other thing that I, I didn't get as a kid was, like, I, I figured, like, I, I, I was like, dude, I have, like, four Superman comics, and this is, like, number 11. And I was like, wow, I, I missed, like, three or four issues. And I, I don't think I understood that Man of Steel was, like, a separate six-issue miniseries, and I had actually missed, like, almost a year year's worth of comics or whatever. Like, I think I thought it just went, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six... And then Man of Steel 6 turned into, like, Superman number 7 or something. I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, it couldn't possibly be, like, another, you know, six issues of Superman. And then, you know, when I went to the, you know, a a real honest-to-goodness comic book shop and saw, like, back issues, I was like, oh, there's a, I was like, there's a Superman number 1! You know, like, so I don't, I don't think I realized that either. So, but I'm kind of curious, like, I'll, I'll sort of open it up to you guys now. Have either of you guys ever read this story before? Like, and I guess what what did you think of it, one way or the other? If you had read it before and you're revisiting it, what did you think? And if you had never read it before, uh, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on it are. I, I will say that like I haven't read this before, but I've seen it before because while I was reading this, I got flashbacks to Superman the animated series when Missy's Pitalik first showed up in that because it never really occurred to me because I have read some burn issues of Superman, but it seems like Superman the animated series really lifted heavily from Burns like ideas. And that's kind of cool to like see it you know in a more adult form because like in the co- in the cartoon Clark never dated Cat Grant or anything like that, which is a sick burn at the end by the way. That is like probably the sickest burn in the world because like Lois is being mind controlled kind of she's being swayed by the not beyonder by the way that's that's what roy looks like he looks like a scruffy beyonder with like a white suit it's a total gym shooter slam like that that was the funny thing when i was i was rereading this to prepare for the show and i know i i told some of you guys off air that i was watching that gym shooter documentary it's called off the record and like it, you know, he goes into, you know, basically certain things. And, you know, one of those things is he's like, oh, you know, I think John Burns a great talent, yada, yada, yada. I don't have anything against him, but he clearly, like, hates my guts. You know, like, and, and he, he's not, yeah. he, he doesn't, you know, sort of make any apologies for it, but he, he's just kind of like, I, I know that's the way it is or whatever, you know? And and I, I just thought it was kind of funny, you know, reading it again in context. Like, when I was a little kid, I don't think I had any idea this was supposed to be a slam on 
Secret Wars 2 in a way. But reading it now, I mean, you, you can't help but tell. He's got the the white suit. He's got like the little, I don't know what you call it, the little Jerry Curl haircut or whatever, the Michael Jackson type haircut. The little, the little glowy eyes when he does stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's totally, it's totally like Secret Wars 2, you know, Disco Beyond or whatever. So I, I totally see that, definitely. You know, not to sound like, you know, stupidly fanboys because, you know, John Byrne is a legend, whether you like him or not. I, I have no problem with him. Again, even for like the 80s, like in the in the days where superstar artists weren't, you know, really a thing yet. It was just getting to that point. Like Byrne, like he is such a good artist. Just the way he draws stuff, it's so expressive. And, you know, unlike some later de- artists in like the 90s and stuff, he's like a king of detail. Metropolis looks like a real city. And it was kind of nice to go back to those days where like people actually lived in apartments instead of like gray walled like boxes and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I I think, like, normally, like, you know, especially in modern day comics and everything, like, usually when I see solicitations and I see, like, an artist is now a writer artist or something and they've been assigned to a certain book, I usually groan and, like, that's only because I think, like, somebody like John Byrne and I, you know, I'd probably add people like Frank Miller and stuff to that list, but, like, There are certain guys, and and maybe it's because I had no preconceived notions as a kid when I was reading their work for the first time. Like, I didn't know that they were just an artist at first, or they were an artist and a co-plotter, and then became a writer or whatever. And maybe that's why, but, like, I've always thought they were kind of the preeminent, like, writer-artist guys, you know? Like, especially John Byrne. Like, I mean, I, I don't ever think his... You know, I mean, you know, there there are things in his later career that people get critical over, but I mean, for the most part, I think if I heard that, you know, John Byrne was a writer-artist on something, it's like usually on some really great comics, whether it's the Superman run or his Fantastic Four or anything like that. So West Coast I, Avengers. Yeah, yeah, West Coast Avengers. Like, there, there's a lot of great stuff like that, and so... I, I mean, for this, I mean, it's like, I agree with what you're saying, Tony. I mean, I really, you know, I do love the art in it. It's great. I mean, you know, obviously, like, I think in hindsight, you know, maybe I take issue with some of the way, you know, Superman was handled post-crisis, like some of his, you know, power down type stuff, because I think it, it got a little out of control as other people got a hold of that. But, I mean, you know, other than that, like, I, I don't really have any bad things to say about it. I mean, this this came from my childhood. I'm, I'm very nostalgic about it. I think it was probably, even though this wasn't her first appearance, like, like I said, this was one of the first, besides Man of Steel, you know, the miniseries, one of the first post-crisis Superman comics that I got my hands on. So this was like my first introduction to Cat Grant, you know, so like there's that and, you know, and then of course trying to sort of wrap my head around like the new rules for you know, Mitziet's Pitalik basically was, was how I was trying to, I think I was more of a game player in those days. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, all of a sudden if there was a universe shattering event today, I'd just be like, what? This is crap. I got to relearn all my (laughs) characters, you know, but I think at that point I was, I was pretty young and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, it's not exactly the same as these guys I was watching on the Super Friends cartoons. It's just a little different. And I got to like, tweak my head cannon because this version is just a little different so but what what about you mike you uh, chime in because i'm curious what your thoughts are on this as well and if you had read it before or not 
Well, my first initial thought was, damn, Callista Flockhart was hot in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She certainly was. Yeah, but, uh, no, I mean, I enjoyed this, and I definitely echo Tony's, like, I definitely recognize, like, elements of this issue in that episode of, like, Superman the Animated Series, like, so, yeah, this seemed very familiar to me, and and I do agree with you where I was kind of like, I guess they were trying to, you know, make Mitzel Spitalik not as goofy as he was in the Silver Age, but somehow like like John Byrne like strikes a good balance with still like make, keeping him faithful, but also like making him actually threatening and there are real stakes and stuff. Like I, I liked when he was, he turns like the daily planet into a giant, like marshmallow man or whatever. <laughs> and like Superman's like using his x-ray vision on it is like, I see all the people inside like being tossed around like confetti. Like I was like, I got to put a stop to this shit. So like <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, that stuff like that is exactly why Byrne like is at the height of his game probably here and yeah like like I I know that there there are a lot of things I can criticize Byrne for later in his career but like right now he's definitely like in his prime so like like artistic wise and like writing wise and I, I think he's he's hand he's working like his magic like right now like reinventing a character for like the new you know, post-crisis uh, continuity. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. And I don't think like I, I, I kind of it kind of felt familiar to me. So like maybe I yes. had read it before, but like maybe I like I can't honestly tell if I've read this before. <laughs> maybe I'm just thinking of stuff from the animated series or but this felt really familiar to me. Yeah, it it does have that vibe. It's just like as I was reading it, I I knew I didn't have this issue ever. But it, like every time I turned the page and I'd read like you know giant typewriter, I'm like, wasn't there a story I read with Missile Piglet and a giant typewriter? I'm sure, you know. But it didn't seem like a rehash. It was like just familiar. So that's like really cool. One thing I was going to bring up because Derek kind of pointed it out with his synopsis, Lois Lane just has a shitty time this issue. She just <laughs> roofied by like the over yonderer, turned into a mannequin, and then when she like tries to make good on like you know with something. It's not even her fault, really. She was like mind controlled. She's like, I'll make it up to Clark. And bam, she gets totally like, you know, cock blocked by Cat Grad at the end. And I'm just like, you almost feel like, you know, like you shouldn't feel bad because she dissed Clark earlier on. But none of it was her fault. And it's just like, man, the only thing I don't like about Lois in this issue is her hair. I don't like her haircut. <laughs> Lois has got it easy. Like New 52 Clark has to like, you know, go to the door and find like Lois like in bed with that guy or whatever. Like, <laughs> Like, she just saw, like, Cat Grant, like, you know, making Clark dinner or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny, because I'm glad you, you did mention that you thought that Cat Grant was a little hottie, you know, in, in this issue. Because that's, that's even, you know, when I read this, I was probably, like, what, 10 years old or something. But I still was like, oh, wow. Yeah, Miss Grant really is pretty. You know, like, I get why Clark wants her to come over and make him lunch like this is awesome like you know and and like i i guess in in terms of that like i i don't know how to distill this into anything and it's not it's not an insult to anybody who's played cat grant in any like live action incarnations but i mean even when like tracy scroggins was you know announced when lois and clark came out i i had that gut reaction of but but 
but it's not like that lady from Superman 11, you know, like, like that's kind of, that's kind of how I always felt about that. Like, it's like if they cast like Joy Mercado in a Spider-Man movie and then all of a sudden it was just like, yeah, we're going to cast that lady who played Sharon Carter in Captain America as Joy Mercado. And I would just be like, but, 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 you know, it doesn't quite hit the nail on the head with, with the, how you sort of visualize that that character and everything yeah i totally agree like cat grant and you know just from this issue alone i'm i'm familiar with how burn drew cat she's a bombshell i mean she is just hot i mean you can't say anything else and like you said it's no disrespect to those actresses i think she's just that kind of drawing that you know she's almost like a pinup she's so pretty that you can't really do that in real life almost yeah it's probably hard to to capture that in in real life i mean it's you know, I it, it kind of like what what Tony was saying. The the only thing I'd ended on is like Byrne definitely did his research when he was writing a lot of these, so it's not out of character for him to pluck certain elements, or even in, in some cases, in some issues, he'll straight up like you know retell certain passages of like Silver Age stories if he thinks it works within the context of his own story. Do you know what I mean? So I I think that yeah. could account as to why some of the stories in Burns Run feel familiar. Because if, like, if you read, like, the issue after this, the Lori Lamaris issue, you know, it's like some of those are, like, panel for panel, just like the original Lori Lamaris story from, you know, classic Silver Age comics and stuff like that. So that that's the only thing I'd say about that. But otherwise, I mean, I, I you know, it was a great issue. I, I, I think, I, you know, I would say for me, yeah, maybe some of it's colored with nostalgia because it's something I bought as a little kid and everything. But, I mean, I think it still holds up pretty well. And and I was looking forward to, you know, discussing this and sort of sharing it with you guys, you know, hoping that maybe if you hadn't read it before, you'd, you'd come across like a really fun, you know, comic to read and everything. I think I totally did. Only thing else I would have, I would say is it's a really simple story, but it's not that doesn't make it stupid. It doesn't make it a dumb story. It's just it's efficient storytelling. You like read it, you get the idea of what's going on and and you you are ha- you're very happy after you read it. You're like that was a good comic. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, okay, it's ready. Yes, yes. It's ready. Let's go. It's ready. Let's yes. Go. 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 Talk. Hello. Lovely Leyland's. Leyland's. Leyland and Michael Leyland. Michael Leyland is Andrew Leyland's son. He's the younger of the two, so... Yes, I know Michael is the, the, the younger, the son. I, I understand how genetics work. Uh, this is Lord Darkseid. And his good buddy and co-host from uh, Sequest, Clyde. Yes, thank you for informing them that you are there, Clyde. Go sit in the corner. We don't have corners. It's all circular. It's a dome. It's a dome. Architecture. I am here to thank you for the wonderful show that you make. Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics. Yes, on the Two True Freaks. That has on now the joined the Two True Freaks Network. Can Can you see if Paul Spataro is there and we can say hi to him? No, no, Paul Spataro is not there. Why? So we won't speak to Paul. We are speaking to the Leylands. But I want to say the hi to the Leylands. The Leylands from across the pond or across the universe for us. Anywho, that's enough. Enough. No, it's never enough. I just want to thank you for making a great podcast and apologize that my Christmas special frightened young Michael. Yeah, he's he's we scared him. Boom. Oh, 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 you scared me. Like, 
Did I do it? I don't know if you scared him, but you got me. Well, I, 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 you need I to be careful. Anything. I have heart palpitations. But keep on making the wonderful Hey Kids Comics podcast. And keep on keeping on. You're really going to end with keep on keeping on? Really? You can't you re-record that. I don't think that was lame. No, I it don't was... think that was lame. I'm going to leave that in. Lame. Let's, let's push sin. No, don't push sin. That was lame. That was lame. Keep on keeping on is a valid response. It's not a valid response. Goodbye, lovely ladies. Goodbye. Looking forward to your G.I. Joe episodes. Goodbye. Yo, Joe! Yeah, so we've got a, a solid done-in-one story with Superman there, and then we're going to go ahead and move on to the next issue that we're going to be discussing tonight and since tony's the guy bringing the issue i'm going to hand it over to him and let him tell us what he brought for us tonight thank you i'm bringing i I have often talked about how much i like jli many times on various shows like you know this one or just a regular show but also was really into justice league europe i've said many times also that is where I really grew to have an affinity for Wally West because the way uh, Giffen was writing him, he was he was totally a smartass. But JLE was kind of a different animal. It was kind of silly like JLI, but it also had a lot of serious stuff with it too. So it was more of a balanced book. It wasn't quite so much for the blahahas, as they say. Also, it had Bart Sears as the artist for a lot of its early run. And I love Bart Sears. I wish he did more stuff. But, you know, back then he was mainly known for doing Lobo and this so but yeah this uh the one i'm talking about is justice league europe issue number 19 this is actually unfortunately not a one and done but this is the last issue of a five-part story called the extremist factor not the extremist factor excuse me the uh yeah extremists there's so many things called extremists <laughs> there's the extremists and the extremists hey, this I've, a tea. I've, got, I've got the iron man book not you yeah this one's got a t on it um <laughs> the uh basically in a nutshell, to try to wrap up what's going on so far before this, the JLE is encountered by like these beings from another dimension. They fight them. They find out that they are from another dimension. They get trapped in their dimension, and the bad guys are threatening the world with a whole bunch of nukes over the planet that they've removed from the silo due to the fact that one of them, Dr. Diehard, what a great name, he has magnetic powers, and if they don't get their demands met, they're going to nuke the planet. And they've done this to the world that they lived on before, so... They're not afraid to do it. But in this issue, we get a culmination of this storyline. It gets a little bit complex, but it's not anything I think that's hard to figure out if you're, you know, if you just read it, because they explain everything pretty well. Basically, the extremists were an actual group of villains, but they came to a, a planet or a dimension that had already been destroyed by the population. But the only thing left was this wacky world, which was an animatronic funland populated by robots. And they took like the ideas from their world like the heroes and the villains and stuff and they made like you know their version of the extremists and their version of the assemblers which were basically the avengers and more or less the masters of evil give or take some members there's a lot of characters in the extremists who are like near pitch perfect like doppelgangers for people in, in marvel marvel villains the extremists however they're the robot versions killed the real extremists and took over as like you know their ideas they became even more ridiculously like you know evil and hell-bent and and the the assembler robots that had been there they got killed and so did the real assemblers so there was only two assemblers left and that was silver sorceress and blue jay and they managed to escape and you know 
get to TLE Earth. You know, I don't know Earth technician. I say Earth Prime or Earth One, Earth One back then. Despite this all being kind of confusing, I'm sure the whole thing was you know first come kind of come up with by Mitch, Uncle Mitch, and his his nickname was Wacky because he liked fun robots and stuff like this. But his robots, of course, made these evil robots and these heroic robots. And he is he's this first time he uh, comes back, he was uh, cryogenically frozen, kind of like you know supposedly another you know. <laughs> fun park icon who is supposedly cryogenically frozen but anyway right this one is not a nazi though but uh the uh... <laughs> oh send all your emails too we had the jle which is, as far as i'm concerned is one of the best lineups they got captain adam they got the flash uh, Wally West. They got Power Girl. They got Rocket Red, who I know some people are like, who the hell is that? He's, he's cool. Shut up. They have the Crimson Fox, who's really cool. They have the Elongated Man for comedic relief, and he's also really smart. Just, you know, a really good lineup. Metamorpho. I mean, come on. These are some powerhouses. They do their best to get back to our Earth, thanks to the Silver Sorcerer's help. They confront the evil of the extremists. A big battle happens, and their backup plan for this, well, not their backup, their main plan while they're distracting the extremists is Mitch Wacky. He has this control that can turn off all his robots. The only reason they couldn't use it before is because it was attuned to his body. And he comes out over a sand dude. It's kind of it's kind of epic. I ain't gonna lie. One of the extremists, Tracer, who is pretty much Sabretooth slash Wolverine. He's the first one who sees him and he's like, Uncle Mitch? And then all the other extremists are like, Uncle Mitch? And like the JLEers are just like, really? Come on. <laughs> Uncle Mitch is, you know, doing his spiel, being a nice guy. And they're like, are we wacky enough for you, Uncle Mitch? Have we done good? And Uncle Mitch is just like, no, you know, I know when you've been naughty and nice and you've been very, very naughty and he pushes the button, they all deactivate and he even throws a line, just be glad it didn't turn you all into donkeys. So, you know, you think the, the crisis is averted, but we did get a little bit of a teaser earlier on in the issue. One of the members of the group, Dream Slayer, come on, 90s, rock on. He's got a flaming head and he looks kind of like a gypsy. He can fly. He's a mystical dude. He reveals that he's actually one of the, I wouldn't say human, but one of the organic extremists. He, he was the only one who survived. And he only saddled up with these guys because they reminded him of his old running mates and they like to take over worlds and that's what he likes to do. He's about to blast people. He's already blasted Uncle Mitch off a sand dune. And Crimson Fox jumps in to save the day with her magical powers. Fooled you. It was actually Silver Sorceress. And she finally got Dream Slayer. And even though it's a little bit murky how they explain it, I let it pass. They had her disguise herself because the Dream Slayer robot and her had history, so yada, yada, yada. But it turned out to be the real Dream Slayer, so she gets her actual revenge because Dream Slayer killed a bunch of her friends, the real one. We have that nice little tie-up. At the end of the day, the extremist robots are frozen. They can't move, so they're put on display in a museum. And Wally West and... Oh, I forgot her name. Not Cath Sue Dibney. Catherine Ka Yeah. Bear. Yeah, the uh, liaison. They're they're walking around, and you know, of course, Wally, being Wally, tries to seduce her, and she's just like, "Don't even think about it, Wally." And there you go. That's the end. I just like this because I picked this up on a spinner rack, a, a honest to god spinner rack, at my local convenience store. I don't really need to go into how much I like JLI and JLE again, but. I just like this arc because me and Derek talked about this earlier. His, his book and mine have a lot of doppelgangers. The extremists are kind of like the Masters of Evil. Lord Havoc is kind of like Ultron. Tracer is kind of like Sabretooth, who was never in the Masters of Evil, but still. Gorgon, kind of like Dr. Octopus. You know, you have like all these guys who are very much Marvel, you know, doppelgangers, and they're all on the same team. And then you have the assemblers. You don't see a lot of them. You don't see a lot of the members, but you have Silver Sorceress, who, you know, Scarlet Witch. And you have Blue Jay who I don't really know if he's a he's a he's a guy 
who has wings, but he's not like Hawkman because he can shrink. But he's still as powerful as he is in he's, his normal mode. So I mean, he's supposed to be Ant Man. I mean, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they they all. I mean, I I might I might get into fisticuffs with you over Ultron. Like I I I'd probably say Lord Havoc is Doctor Doom because he's just a yeah, guy. He's yeah. just a guy in a suit, basically. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of like... Uh, Dr. Like, Howard is definitely Magneto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like if the Masters of Evil were Doctor Doom, Magneto, Dormammu, Doc Ock, and Sabretooth, basically. That's that's what the extremists are. Yeah, and, you know, they're fun. And and I think that's the main thing I take away from this, is it is a fun... It is kind of wacky. I keep saying the word wacky, but, I mean, literally, they are robots who are made for an amusement park who turned into actual evil world-conquering villains who actually gave an uh, iteration of the Justice League a run for their money, and they were, like, beaten by an old man with a remote control. That's, that's like, classic Justice League stories. And it had, it had dimensional time travel, despite maybe jumping in at the end of it and being kind of, you know, hard for maybe someone to get if they hadn't gone on the ground floor. I did want you guys to see the wrap-up of it. What do you what do you guys think of this issue? Well, I... I... I can admit I was like a, a little lost because obviously it's the last issue of something. But, you know, I'm I'm no slouch when it comes to comics. So, you know, I picked up things pretty fast and I thought it was interesting. I wanted to ask, like, these guys are the guys that showed up like in a the like front stinger of a JLU episode once, didn't they? Like, I, I recognize the Gorgon guy, at least like I, I think I, I think Tracer, I think they did. Yeah, I think Tracer was in a JLU episode. I'm trying to remember because sometimes, like, like Dwayne McDuffie and and probably why can't I think of the other guy's name? Um, the guy who worked on Brave and the Bold. Uh, oh, uh, uh, James Tucker. Yeah, James Tucker. James Tucker always like sticks all those guys in the background. He like he was always big yeah. Because so, I I remember the Gorgon guy being animated and also like the Dormammu guy like because I remember the Dormammu guy especially because he had Bender's voice like Joe DiMaggio uh, John DiMaggio <laughs> was like voicing him or something you think you can stop me with a bubble it's a really good bubble so and I think like I forgot what episode it was, but it was like in the first like two minutes they were fighting them. And then like, you know, they kind of get put away in the first two minutes. Even though they are not mentioned by name, the extremists have a cameo in the beginning of the Justice League Unlimited episode Shadow of the Hawk as Mike mentions. Typical of the show, Batman easily defeats the Doctor Doom pastiche. Also as Derek noted, Tracer appears as a meta brawler in the Justice League Unlimited episode The Cat and the Canary. Yeah, I think I remember seeing Lord Havoc too. He had more he had a more simple design, but they all did, of course, because it's animated. But I think they I think they were. I don't know if they're actually named, but I, I do know that they were there. Like Derek said, kinda like, you know, guys were beating up this week in the in the stinger, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like I, I liked it. It was a it was like you said, it was a nice like lineup for the JLU, like in I mean the JLA or in uh or well, no, the J I the J L E, isn't it? Yeah, I got it right the third time. Like I always forget that like, you know, Wally West was like on like one of these like, you know, side teams, like once upon a time, like sometimes. So it's kinda and it's it's weird to see him like how popular the Flash is today, like be it Barry or Wally, just to see him being like a supporting cast member and stuff. So yeah, like I I enjoyed reading it for the most part. Like I thought the whole like you know amusement park android things gone wrong was kind of like weird in a way but also kind of like comic booky in a way i was like what did arcade make these guys or something like 
But no, like I, I can see how this would be a satisfying conclusion to a storyline too, because there were a lot of like dramatic moments and stuff. Cool. Yeah, I think the I think the wacky land thing probably smacks of of Keith Giffen's plotting. Like that that feels like something that would have come from his brain or something like that. You know, I think I I I like this issue. I I like the storyline. I think maybe in terms of that it took five issues to tell the whole story like i don't think that's that big of a deal like but i i do feel like maybe it went on like an issue too long like i think i think the issue before this they really go into the whole wacky land robot stuff and like i don't mind them being trapped there and having to deal with you know, whatever that guy, you know, the, the, the head of the one guy or whatever. Carney. Carney, you know, but like, it just seemed like they spent a lot of time on Carney and I was more interested in the extremists, I suppose. But, you know, having said that, you know, I mean, this does have some, some, I'm not strong ties to, to history, but like, you know, the original Justice League comic, I think it was like an issue like 87, that was when, like, what they're calling the Assemblers, but I think they were called, like, the Champions of Angor. That's when they I, I was first... about to say, I knew that Silver Sorceress was actually, her and Blue Jay were actually real characters back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they like, it, it was her, they, they called the Thor anagram, his name was Wangina, or Wangina, I think is how you pronounce that, and then there was, I think they called, like, the Quicksilver guy, like, Jack Quick. And then, and then, Mike, you'll like this. And if you had read like all five issues, you would have seen like a. I'll, I'll show you a picture of him later. But there's a there's a Hawkeye anagram guy, and his name is the Bowman. And like he, he kind of looks like Kazar, but with like bows and arrows, pretty much. But like he's he's like the Hawkeye anagram, and, and you know, as as some of these characters will appear throughout different incarnations. And what stuff. is what is that like Mockingbird's fantasy or something? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Okay, without a shirt. <laughs> it's like, I, I think as as those incarnations appear, it, it probably gets as convoluted and confusing as like the Squadron Supreme. You know, like that there are all these like alternate, alternate versions of alternate characters that are, you know, like pastiches yeah. or Erzots versions of characters and stuff like that. But I mean, in in terms of that, like it, it's kind of cool because. You know, I I believe like Wanjina was the the character, the Thor character. He basically like sacrifices himself to like stop like a, a Chernobyl type meltdown and all that kind of stuff. So then the the characters that were left over that are in our, you know, basically in the the, the main DC you know Earth Prime universe or whatever, you know, were Silver Sorceress, who's like a you know a Scarlet Witch type, and and then Blue Jay, who I, I'm just gonna say is like a Hank Pym type, pretty much. You know, and so like, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this. I, I agree with Tony. I've always been a big fan of, of Bart Sears. I think basically the, the, the biggest compliment I can give him is, you know, not only does he have like great anatomy and, and dynamic storytelling and all that kind of stuff. But as a kid, when I didn't understand any of that stuff, it was just always a disappointment whenever there was like a fill in artist on Justice League Europe. You know, like you got used right. to reading it and seeing his art. And then I think there, I, I specifically remember being bummed out because the issue, I think it's like issue nine where like Superman comes in to help like fix 
Power Girl's brain or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Kara had a lot of issues during JLE. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she and, and there was the <laughs> surgery, and it was like only Superman with like his X-ray vision could help, like you know, complete the operation or whatever. So, sorry, the the way you said that, it like it sounded like a like the end the old Star Trek episode or something. Someone <laughs> stole Power Girl's brain. <laughs> awesome, awesome. What happened? I don't know. You've got him on complete life support. Was he dead? He was worse than dead. Jim. Come on, Bones. What's the mystery? His brain is gone. It's been removed surgically. How could he survive? The greatest technical job I've ever seen. Every nerve ending of his brain must have been neatly sealed. Nothing ripped, nothing torn, no bleeding. It's a medical miracle. His brain is missing. Spock is dying. No. That incredible Vulcan physique hung on to life support cycle took over. His body lives. The autonomic functions continue. But there is no mind. But yeah, I guess all the only reason why I brought that up is I'm pretty sure the interior art on that issue is not Bart Sears. So it was like one of those things where you were like, Bart Sears, Bart he, Sears, Bart Sears. And then you but get he always that. did the cover, so you're like, shit. And then you look inside and you're like, God damn it, that's not Bart Sears. You know, so that's basically the best compliment I can give him. And then you guys, you guys know I love Captain Adam and especially him, you know, in a leadership role. And I think that comes from having, you know, bought Justice League Europe number one, you know, from the comic shop and everything. I'm pretty sure I bought a few of these from like a Quick Stop or a 7-Eleven, but I, I think that was long after I discovered comic book stores proper and like maybe I just, you know, I, I just bought it because it was convenient or something like that from like a, you know, but but I mean, I, I pretty much sporadically would buy this title. I know I, I bought like the first four issues and then I bought, you know, the issues that I was talking about with like Power Girl and Superman and, you know, the issues were like Metamorpho and Guy Gardner got into a, a big fight and everything that was like around issues 11 and 12 and then like the first couple issues, they even have Wonder Woman who who thinks about joining, but she eventually bows out. So it's yeah. funny, like they supposedly they said that they could use Wonder Woman, but then I think the Wonder Woman editors like changed their minds. Like it, it turned into like a big kerfluffle, I think, because yeah, like it was like one of those things where they're like, oh, we don't want her to be in one of those funny books. You know, and it turned into this. Yeah, they, they they totally poochied her. Yeah, they yeah. were like, I have to go back to Simiscaria. Yeah, it turned it kind of turned a little ugly, I think. But but she was definitely billed as being like one of the the big members in this new team, and then it was like she was in it for like you know she was like Hulk in the Avengers. You know, she was around for like an issue or two, and then all of a sudden it was like goodbye forever. You know, or whatever. I, I think I think one of the issues they had, I guess the uh, editors 
I don't know. This is hearsay on my part, but they were they were kind of teasing a Wally West Diana romance, kinda like she was like they were flirty, you know. But they were there was no like you know I'm going to bang that Wonder Woman. But I think they may have gotten like cold feet and been like, wait, what if they go forward with this, you know? And I don't know. I think like Wally at that point was like hitting on anything that breathed. Oh that yeah, time, yeah. So. I don't think it mattered yeah. that it was Wonder Woman, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was, you know, thinking. I was like, he was a total man whore, but I'm just wondering if the editors read too much into it. It's like, no, that's just Wally. I was going to ask you about Captain Adam because he is the team leader. You know, I, I do echo your sentiments that many times in different media and even in the comic books, they really screw over Captain Adam a lot. I don't know why he, he tends to get the short end of the stick, but in JLA, he was really good. He was a, yeah. a you know competent leader. He was like good at his job. Bart Sears to me always drew the definitive Captain Adam. That's who I think of when I think of Cat. Is it is it like your definitive version or not? I think the person I think of the most that I really like when I think of Captain Adam probably isn't Bart Sears. That doesn't take away. I think Bart Sears does a really good Captain Adam, but if if I was going to tell you like a definitive Captain Adam, for me it'd probably be Pat Broderick because that okay. was that was probably like the first comic I read with Captain Adam in it. And like he kind of like Bart Sears kind of has him with the the shorter haircut and everything. And what's funny is like Captain Adam technically is supposed to be, you know, it's not quite as bad as like you know, or not that it's necessarily quote unquote bad, but I'm like, it's not as bad as Captain America where it's like the dude was from World War Two and then he's, you know, coming out these days, you know, in, in the 21st century or whatever, you know, a, a man out of time in that sense. But Captain Adam was also a man out of time. But in the context of the comics, you know, he was uh, a military officer from the 60s and then un- went went under goes this experiment and gets launched into the 80s, basically, as a result. So I always kind of thought of it as the way Pat Broderick drew his hairstyle. Like, it still had that flavor of, like, 60s, 70s, even though he was, a, you know, a cat in the 80s, basically. Whereas I think yeah. the way Bart Sears draws it, it's like he's finally sort of caught up with the times, I guess, if that makes any sense. Like, he's not, he's not kind of... He's got kind of a mullet, kind of. <laughs> he's not, he's not swinging that shag hairstyle or whatever, you know, like, so... And and I kind of like that, so that's why, you know, I, I think of him as, like, a definitive artist. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I enjoy all the interplay. I mean, it's fun because, you know, you, th- this is the kind of power girl that I was exposed to and used to yeah. the, the character that's very sort of bra- brazen and, and angry all the time and kind of, you know, it, it basically made for good interplay with somebody like Wally West, who at the time was kind of a womanizer and, you know, always kind of trying to crack a joke and everything. And I think e- even though Mike mentions that he thought of Wally as like a supporting character in this. I, I don't think that meant that he wasn't popular in his own title. And I think ironically, I think he, like I've always said, I think Wally West is always like that, that sort of gateway drug for Marvel readers. Cause the other memories yeah. I have of justice league Europe and, and you know, the the Wally West Flash and all that kind of stuff. I I just remember like good friends of mine who were basically like loyal devotees to like X-Men and Wolverine and all this kind of stuff. And then them finally discovering like their gateway DC characters, you know, whether it be Nightwing or, or Wally West. But in the case of Wally West, I remember once they got into Wally West, like they really got into Wally West. So it was like, at that point, it's like 
they had more Flash comics than I had. And they had more <laughs> Justice League Europe comics than I had. So I would like go over there and be like, dude, I'm going to read all their comics. You know what I mean? So that's probably right. that's probably where I read this extremist storyline was at a friend's house because he had just gotten into like Wally West. And it was like he had like basically it, it was like at that point, anything that had Wally West in it, he was all over it. You know, so it, yeah. that that's kind of the strongest memory I have about this. Yeah, I, I would say like Wally West. I wouldn't say he was a supporting character. I always kind of because even I knew who the Flash was at that point, Super Friends and all that stuff. And this was like my early days of DC. So even though I knew that who Captain Adam was because he was a part of the JLI originally, I knew who Power Girl was. I didn't know who the hell Crimson Fox was. I wasn't really sure about Metamorpho. I grew to love him, but I wasn't you know exposed to him when I was younger until till JLE. And, you know, there's a lot of these characters I just didn't know. But with Wally, I always kind of considered him a special guest star, if that makes sense. Like he's on the he's like he's on the show. But you've seen those TV shows where, you know, kind of like kind of kind of like uh, we were talking about Cat Grant. What's her name? Allie McBeal, Calista Flockhart, you know, in the old days, in the 80s, even though she was on the show every episode, she'd be she'd be labeled as special guest star. It's like and featuring Wally West. (laughs) Yeah, he gets the and credit. Yeah, exactly. And he does have some good lines in this. One of my favorite ones is he brings the head of Carney to to the team. And he's a robot, guys. Don't worry. He looks silly, but, you know, it's, it's not a real person's head. And, you know, he was like, you know, look what I found, you know. And Catman was like, let me see that. You know, we're going to get the information from the robot brain, yada, 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 science. He's like, you know, Wally, go scout the perimeter, see what else you can find. He's like, all right, but if I see any cool, wacky world gift shops, I'm keeping everything. <laughs> like, like, that's the Wally I know. So... Yeah, I, I think that kind of wraps up my my issue. You guys got anything else? Just just that I I like the issue. I actually went and reread the whole five issue arc just to sort of refresh my memory, and I you know I enjoyed it. So it was it was fun, you know, going over that stuff again. And you know, it's like it's like going home. You know, you you revisit with all those characters, whether it's you know Dimitri or you know Kara or you know. Captain Adam or Catherine Colbert or, you know, it's like one of those bittersweet things where you're like, look, it's Sue did me and Ralph and Sue still. Yeah. Alive. I, I kind of got sad when you I know? saw Sue. I yeah, was like, Oh, like, Sue. You, yeah. You, you always like, if you, if you ever read it during that era, it's like one of those things where you get happy, but then you kind of get sad too. Cause you're like, God damn it. Fucking <laughs> stupid identity crisis. But anyway, <laughs> you know, like, but, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. What about you, Mike? Anything else to throw in there? No, like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I probably should have read the whole arc too, but I, I get I get what you're laying down. I get where you're coming from. You smell what the rock is cooking. I smell what the uh, Tony is cooking. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. If if you ever have a chance, Mike, I know like it's totally your preference if you want to give it a try. You don't have to read the whole JLE, you know, series. It's not that long. I did. I don't even think it made it to the hundreds. If it did, finish the extremist arc. It's 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 fun. It's it's a good little round of storytelling. You get new characters. You get old characters. One of the reasons I picked this book mainly like we were picking just random stuff off the spinner rack. And I remember this cover when I went into the comic shop. Well, not comic shop, but the the convenience store and it was like one of the ones in the front of the spinner rack you know and i just saw it and i like saw captain adam standing there all resolute you know it was like you took our world from us now we're taking it back 
he's got like this nice, you know, team Avengers symbol style of like Rocket Red and Crimson Fox and Metamorpho all rushing forward on top of this heap of robots. It's just really powerful. It was a great cover. Again, Bart Sears is an amazing artist. And when you got into it, you know, you got into it. I'd already read the whole arc and I was waiting for this to come out. But when I saw that cover, it was just like, I'm already sold on the, the ending. I don't care if the ending sucks. And it's not a bad ending. Anybody who hasn't read JLE, again, me and Derek have already been singing the praises of Bart Sears. Great artist. Giffen is still on top of his game. He is a weird writer, guys. He has weird ideas. But if you actually could turn off your brain as far as like, I can't accept anything weird. It's also got serious points. Like, you know, Derek said, there are some moments that are actually tension, you know, that there's real honest to God tension. I, I wouldn't put it in the same category as burn Superman because that is a legendary title, but JLE is a really good title, especially the first, you know, like 20, 30 issues. I still have fond memories of that just being a great run. So if you like the justice league, and you like old characters like, you know, Metamorpho or, you know, newer characters that were brought into the fold later on, like Captain Adam, you know, because he wasn't really originally in DC. Like, yeah, pick this up. I mean, it, just give give it a try. That's all I can tell. Oh, the only thing I was disappointed with was when Uncle Mitch, like, came back and the extremist robots saw him, like the saber tooth guy didn't go, don't shut us off, Pa. I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. Kibadiah Creed knows how to get the wickedness out of you. No, please. Please, Pa. Not again. I'll be good. 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 Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books... We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. So yeah, so so that kind of wraps up the whole Justice League Europe talk. And we're going to take it over to Mike. And Mike brought a comic for us tonight. From the depths of cyberspace. So I'm gonna let him take it away. <laughs> well, um, this yes, I this I bought at a supermarket, and I'll be honest, like I had Iron Man comics before this. I think like I had some like David Michelini and like Bob Layton issues, but I, I never really thought that much of Iron Man before like this point. And like I knew the cartoon was gonna happen, so like I was kind of like, oh yeah, I guess I'll pick up like an Iron Man comic. And, like, of course, when I opened the first couple pages, he's fighting the X-Men. So I was like, oh, man, now I got to buy this. It's the X-Men. Like, so, you know, I, I think they would they, they would shove the X-Men into anything, like, back then. But, like, I'll, I'll have more to say about that later. But in any case, yeah, so I bought this issue, and I, I became fond of it, and I became fond of Iron Man, and I became fond of this this particular, like, creator team as well. And this, this creator team is actually my favorite run on Iron Man. Man comics like all told why don't I'll, I'll i'll just give the summary in the background and then we'll like get into it this is 
and I get. I also wanted to mention, like, it, it occurred to me that, like, Derek picked a done-in-one story, and Tony picked the end of a, like, multi-parter, and I'm picking, like, the first part of a multi-parter, so it all complements, like, itself, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, so this is Iron Man 307. It was released in August of 1994, written by Len Kaminsky and drawn by Tom Morgan. After a training session in the combat simulator where he totally owns virtual representations <laughs> of the X-Men, Tony Stark decides to project himself into cyberspace to combat an unknown threat that has been screwing with his computer systems recently. He comes into contact with Vor slash Tex, a rogue AI program that is hostile to humanity. The two begin to battle in cyberspace as Tony summons his Iron Man armor virtually. In an ongoing subplot, the Mandarin recovers in a modest home in China. His hands, which were vaporized fighting Fing Fang Foom and his dragon brethren, are now regrowing as reptilian-like appendages. Soon, Iron Man will have to face the reborn dun-dun-dun hands of the Mandarin. Look forward to the upcoming crossover, kids. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Iron Man realizes that Vor slash Tex, the avatar he is fighting, is nothing more than a copy, and the real Vor slash Tex program is just distracting him. Tony finds himself trapped in cyberspace as Vor slash Tex inhabits his flesh and blood body in the real world. To be continued. Yeah, so obviously it's 1994, so like the internet is not really like you know widespread or anything now so you know obviously cyberspace isn't quite this um it's it's clearly an early 90s interpretation of what like the internet or cyberspace is yeah it's like it's like everything you learned about the internet yeah exactly it's like, well, I, I was kind of like man this it's like vr troopers or something yeah like, hey kids have you seen lawnmower yeah. man here you go yeah yeah I, I when 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 i i've never read this before so when it got to the point where tony's like about to put on the helmet or whatever it is he's like i'm going to cyberspace like i almost <laughs> fell out of my chair laughing but then i i was like no no i get it it's the 90s it's like vr troopers like you know we all we knew was tron like uh, i'm just gonna go along for the ride and stuff but but i did i did think that was kind of funny it seems like that, that that whole decade there were storylines where people go into cyberspace and stuff like like those god awful like clone saga issues where like scarlet spider goes into cyberspace or something yeah i'm i'm pretty sure doom 2099 went into cyberspace so he was like way way out of date by that point you know oh oh like 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 the first couple of issues that was also that's all it was cuz like his his villain tiger wild was like not only really strong but he's a cyborg who was also a genius like packer or some shit like that yeah like starting way at the beginning like 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 i told you i wasn't exactly a fan of iron man when i first read this issue so i was kind of like what he can't beat all the x-men like so <laughs> but, but nowadays i'm kind of like yeah that's probably how it should go down man i i i wish i i i had known about this comic so hard back when i was like on the wizard world superhero showdown boards i would have posted that picture of Wolverine getting punched in the face by Iron Man's glove like over and over again. <laughs> One punch. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, like I Len Kaminsky's run is like full of like stuff like this where he's I, I think he's you gotta understand, like folks, like back in the nineties, like Iron Man was like 
like low B list, basically. Like yeah, not he's, today. He's, he's on like the '90s cartoon team, yeah. like the most popular version, you know? Yeah, exactly. He was not an A list hero at all. So like, I feel like Len Kaminsky could get away with this kind of commentary back then, like in his book, where you know he kind of obviously he has a little bit of disdain for like the X Men comics, where Iron Man's like bashing them for like you know if you guys would just like shut up and stop making speeches about like cohabitation and like you know peace and like a tolerance and whatever you guys could win but and then he just shuts them up and then wolverine's like yeah forget about me bub and then yeah iron man one punches him and he's like i wish i could forget about you <laughs> like, I, lo- I love that moment and like yeah they're they're in this whole run like len kaminsky also takes like pot shots like that at venom he takes like <laughs> he 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 has iron man like tell off thunderstrike and the new warriors at one point <laughs> like he was like you people are you newbies are like you know you come in and you have like these stupid solutions to complex problems. Like, so like, I, I really loved like reading this run in later years. I really kind of loved like the comment, the sort of subtle commentary he was making on some of these things. But anyway, yeah. So like that, that scene kind of really stuck with me. And it on like, like I said, like that was the reason I bought the book in the first place. Cause I was like, Oh, the X-Men are in this. Like, Oh, I'll buy it. <laughs> I thought it was funny how, like, I think, your first instinct, like if you were a super big X Men fan and you open that page, your first instinct. Oh, I thought this was. I thought this is where like Internet Rage was born. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, what I was gonna say was, uh, I, I was gonna be like, you know, X Men nerd and continuity going, but Nightcrawler isn't part of the <laughs> yeah. team, and it's like it's like it's sort of like on purpose because it kind of gives you a hint that like these are like you know yeah. hologram generated you know combat simulations and stuff but i i just thought that was kind of cool because i was like oh yeah yeah cool. you know and i i like he, he like he even kind of covers his bases where like when all the holograms fade iron man's like well the real things would probably give me a harder time but like you know yeah. I, that, a little, little dismissively but still like yeah i'm sure the two real guys are tougher yeah <laughs> Otherwise, aside, like, I, I remember I used to think it was Voratex, like, the, the slash was, like, an I or something, and they just didn't, like, they capitalized it for some reason, but I guess it's supposed to be Vor slash Tex, and Vor slash Tex never appears again outside of this multi-parter, so, wow. like, I, I could, I was looking up information if this, if this villain ever showed up again, and, like, he hasn't, like, his, his comic vine page is, like, bare bones, and I think he only shows, I think this is, like, a three-parter, and he only shows up in these three parts, and honestly, like, I can see why, he's, like, a he's, he's both, like, Ultron and numerous other villains, like, do his shtick and do it, like, much better, and, like, even, like, the Technovore, like stuff like that, like this, he seems kind of derivative of all those guys. So he doesn't really seem to have a strong character either. Yeah, you, you know when, when when he took a physical form, Vor slash text, he reminded me of like the self warlock. Yeah, from New yeah. You know the techno organic one. Like that's the kind just of silver. Like yeah. I mean, once he yeah. had like a. Oh, like in in the next few issues, like he he takes over Tony Stark's body, and then he tries to like he tries to like live Tony Stark's life, 
and he ends up like ruining Tony Stark's like relationship with I think it was like his his physical trainer at the time he was dating. Yeah, is that he, who that was in, in this issue? I was trying to figure out who that was. No, uh, that was the the woman was like Bethany Cab, like his head of security. Okay. But uh, he he was in a relationship with his like physical trainer at this time, and like once war slash text is in his body, like in a and I think it's like in the next issue he's like, man, she's hot, like, and then he like tries to rape her or something. And, <laughs> And like he says, he's a he's since a, he's a computer program. It's like that's all he understands. And then like I forget C how, slash rape. Yeah, I forget like exactly how Tony switches back, but I I I do know I re I remember the way he beats for slash text is that like when he realizes his in a human body he can be hurt. Like it freaks him out. Like, and he he gets like only like scratched or something, and he's bleeding, and he's like, "Oh my god! Like this flesh is like damaged. Like I'm going to die. You need to take me to a hospital." And like Tony Stark's like, "That's nothing. It's like a cut." Like, and then Vor slash Tex is like, "Like this um, unimaginable pain is like you know this is only a minor like injury. Like oh, this is common. (laughs) Yeah. So." that's how like Tony eventually gets them to not only that, but every day this foul, disgusting thing goes out of my bottom half. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but you know, under the limits of the comics code authority at the time, basically. But I, I mean, this is actually kind of like, like I said, like Len Kaminsky's run on Iron Man is probably my favorite run on the character. And this is my favorite represent like the, my favorite armor too. And like, I, I really like Tom Morgan's art and, he, he draws the hell out of that like modular armor. It's a weird thing with like Len Kaminsky's run where he made a lot of new villains, but none of them except for maybe Technovore. And even that's kind of like, you know, iffy, like really lasted past his run. Like, I think his his most lasting contribution to Iron Man is like putting Jim Rhodes in the war machine armor, basically. So, yeah, but otherwise, like. His run has like a lot of good like multi-part stories and it has my favorite Iron Man story of all time where Iron Man teams up with Black Widow and they go to Russia and fight the Titanium Man and they team up with like Crimson Dynamo too. So Tony and like Crimson Dynamo have to do like this rival fusion thing to beat the Titanium Man. So like I like I said, uh, this is he's Len Kaminsky. Like I, I I've always wondered where he went, kind of, because I obviously he doesn't work in comics anymore. But hmm. like he just kind of like yeah disappeared, kind of. It seems like <laughs> Marvel just got tired of him making fun of the X Men, so he had to go away. <laughs> I guess I guess so. Yeah, but since I know you're a big fan of the Iron Man cartoon, it, did that also kind of help the nostalgia? Since this is football pants Iron Man. Yeah, like, like, I think the first season was airing at the time. Like, yeah, because I didn't even know. Like, I knew I saw that the cartoon was coming out in, like, Wizard or something. So, like, I I, I was like, maybe I should look into Iron Man because I was already, like, watching the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons. So I was like, oh, maybe I should get familiar with this. And, yeah, the first season of Iron Man and Fantastic Four are pretty, like, bad for the most part. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, like, the second season, though, of Iron Man is great. Like, I love the second season of Iron Man. And that takes a lot of, like, influence from some of these stories, like the, the hands of the Mandarin and some other things that he did. Like, so, yeah, like, I think... I read after this issue, I picked up a few more issues, but I didn't really get back into Iron Man for another like year or two. Like, cause 
then by then the second season started airing and I was like, oh man, like Iron Man is cool. Like this is a cool cartoon now. Like now that they changed everything up and now it's like, you know, well written. <laughs> and the, yeah. like, they, they swapped out the dorky looking season one armor and made it like they took away the stupid little mouth slit and made him, you know, look like the more like the armor in this comic, basically. So, yeah, I know a while back we were, we were talking about Lupin the third and everything. And I had said that, like, you know, like he went away for a while and, you know, Derek Craig me said like, he never went away in Japan. He just went away in America, which, you know, is, is totally probably true. You know, I, uh, I definitely, you know, I don't know if I made a mistake. I just wasn't my, I myself wasn't aware. So without me being aware, it kind of fed into that. But with Iron Man, even though he was he was well known, you know, as far as comic book readers and stuff, like I think it's still safe to say that, like in the early '90s, you know, Iron Man definitely was not a thing like he is now. And like, is it just kind of weird, like you said, to read him and he's not really an A-lister? He's like, you know, in in those Avengers books, it'll sell as well as X Men. <laughs> well, it's also weird because this is. This is before, like, a, obviously a Robert Downey Jr. like Iron Man, and it's uh, even before like second season Iron Man, where second season Iron Man would like be really jokey and snarky, and like this Iron Man isn't jokey and snarky at all, and people don't realize that Tony Stark was never really like a jokey snarky guy until like you know Robert Downey Jr. made that like a thing, and now he'll probably be jokey and snarky forever. You're like you're like Tony Stark wasn't jokey and snarky until the Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. It's like like basically, kids. You know how like Tony Stark is in like the last ten minutes of Civil War. That's how he always was in the comics. <laughs> like just serious. Like and, like, he's a very serious. He's he's the kind of guy who would like Spider Man would swing in on the scene and like Spider Man would do something impulsive and dumb and you know Iron Man would say you young fool like or something like yeah you rookie <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah like I why well, I, I always say that like. You know, when people say like I, I was just guilty of it when people say like, oh, Iron Man wasn't a snarky guy until like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I, I, I would say that, well, second season, like Robert Hayes, Iron Man, he was like a sarcastic, snarky guy. So like he was doing that long before Robert Downey Jr. So I always like fall back on that. But yeah, like, go fuck yourself. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, but, um, I, I will. I will agree with you on the art. It, this is going to sound like I'm dissing it, but I, I'm I'm totally not. It has kind of a sketchy quality to it, which many people might think that's like a, a insult. But for the story and like how Tony looks and how the armor looks, I think it works really well for like, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with this artist very well. I haven't seen a lot of his work, but I, I dig how this stuff looks and like the tech when he's in like the cyberspace room or whatever it's like gray and like you know computery and stuff it looks like you know an actual lab i really did like the art and the x-men look really good in this like the the first you know couple pages with the x-men all the x-men look like the x-men it's not one of those artists where you're just like who the fuck is that <laughs> it's like you you can punch me in the face with an iron fist but i i don't know that i'm super crazy about the artwork in this but what i was going to ask because you've read more of this run obviously than i have and I, I usually am grateful to get a chance to read things that I haven't checked out before. So I'm I'm happy that I read this and I'll read more from this run if you bring it or, you know, or just for, you know, sheer pleasure or whatever. But one question I had that I noticed is Tom Morgan inked himself in this issue. Like, does he always ink himself? Maybe. 
Like most of the like all the issues he draws like look similar to this. I don't know. I was just wondering because it's like I I don't know how to like you know the one thing that I and and this is probably just a stupid nitpick, but but the one thing I couldn't stand about this issue is you you know the in the beginning like it's in the first couple pages like I think it's on page five or six or something like that. But you know how he's talking to Bethany in the beginning. There's that one stupid <laughs> fucking page where. The 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 first panel, you have to turn the comic. Okay, so that, that sideways, that's actually just in the comic. The I thought rest that was just my page, reader. So, okay, yeah, that's a fuck up. But the the rest of the page, the rest of the page is is like standard. Like I I I don't <laughs> I don't get I don't that. Understand. I, I've, I've seen I, that I done. That was but... a, a glitch. So that's how the the comic actually looked. I have seen that done before, but I never know why they do it. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem very com- like intuitive, basically. I I just think it's it's something that I mean, dude. I, I I go back to that Jim Shooter video I was watching, where it's like there's no fucking editors anymore. They just sign off on any old thing. Like if I was an editor, I'd be like, "Are you fucking shitting me? Redraw this." You know, like, or, or, or photostat it and turn it fucking right side up or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just like, that's, I I get it if it's part of the story where like, you're supposed to, you know, I don't know. It's all this meta textual Grant Morrison bullshit and you have to like, you know, you're, you're fucking like this villain has turned the world upside down. That kind of stuff. You, it's like it's like Scott Snyder thinks he's writing an epic Batman story, and you have to like fucking turn the comic like fucking sideways and upside down and all this other stupid bullshit to read it. Like that's fine, I get that. That's part of the the process. But this isn't that. This a is random panel. Kinda, you know? Oh hey, what's up? Like I don't feel like drawing this again. <laughs> like and the and the and the, the the whoever lettered it or ballooned it was just like. Um, okay, I'm just gonna balloon it the way he drew it, I guess. <laughs> you know, like what's what's going know. on? I don't know. But yeah, that's that's a, it, it, it's a minor, you know, it's a minor criticism. But but that did that, I, I don't know. For for me, the art's kind of like '90s. Like I I I agree with Tony in that it's kind of scratchy. But like I I feel like it's kind of it. That's why I asked about the inking because I felt like almost like it's kind of like unfinished. I guess I like, like he just like he just inked over his loose pencils it. and didn't bother to clean it up. Yeah. 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 Like it looks kind of sloppy, you know, like or, or like, you know how like like you get used to like a certain artist who has like really strong lines like or 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 an artist that goes through a lot of different inkers like somebody like Dan Jurgens, like he's generally a pretty strong artist. But when different people ink him, you can see how it changes the dynamic of the art. So it's like to me, it felt like, oh, well, what if Dan Jurgens was inked by like Klaus Jansen or something like that? And you're like, oh, it looks all scratchy or something. But then it's like, oh, well, what if Dan Jurgens gets inked by Jerry Ordway? And then all of a sudden, it becomes all like clean and crisp and dynamic and stuff. So I just. You know, that that was the only thing I noticed about the art. It's like one of those things where, like, it seems like he's a guy, like Tom Morgan, I was like, is that a pseudonym for Tom Grinberg? Because I hate Tom Grinberg. But, like, they both seem to be, like, like, trying to aspire to be like Neil Adams, it feels like. But I don't know that they really reach that height, if that makes any sense. Or maybe even like a Joe Kubert, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe like that. Yeah, like they're 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 aspiring for greatness, but I don't know that they quite quite get there. 
I, I will say it is kind of like it's not unfair. It's just how the 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 cookies crumbled. But like you know, we do have this artist who I you know, like I said, I didn't mind the artwork that much. You know, it is sad that like you know, Mike does have a comic book that does have kind of a sketchier style. And me and Derek have like two of the guys who are just known for having clean artwork. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean it's definitely. I guess if you if you read all these in in order the way we did, like it's definitely a different you know a different sense of aesthetic you know like style. So, but yeah, I mean it's not you know it doesn't it, it, to me it doesn't like I I like talking about this kind of stuff like but unlike with some other people like it doesn't make or break the comic oh, yeah. for me it's not like i'm like i'm never i'm never touching iron man <laughs> Fuck the shit. Again. it's like that's that's not that that's not what what it's about but it is to me it is interesting like you know that, that that's those things where you want to try and figure it out where i'm like i'm like why don't i respond to this as much as i do to other art you know and i'm like is it because he's inking himself like i you know i was just looking for for things in my head that usually provide me answers, you know, like, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if I'd like his art better if somebody else inked him instead of himself. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like I said, the, the, the art didn't annoy me, but I will say that like when Tony's in his Iron Man suit, I think he draws a really good Iron Man. I think the Iron Man suit looks good. The Tony looks kind of off. His, his face is very skinny. And I don't know. I don't know. Like it just doesn't seem quite like Tony. His mustache is really thin and I know, like, we're used to Robert Downey having kind of a full mustache and the, like, goatee and stuff. But I, I will say that, like, the Tony did seem a little off to me. He wasn't bad. I could still register that was Tony Stark, and I wasn't like, who's that? But there were a couple panels where I was like, you know, Tony looks like he's in his early 20s, and he shaved a lot more. <laughs> it's just preference, though. Like I said, I, I thought his X-Men looked really good. I thought all the X-Men were, like, great. Even Bishop looked good. It looked like the guy who was doing Bishop originally. Who was, who was the guy who was drawing X-Men when they introduced Bishop? Wills Portacio. Was it Wills Portacio? Okay, yeah. And he has kind of a sketchy style, too, depending on his inker, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess depending on who's in. Yeah, all his all yeah, all his Wildstorm stuff looked yeah, really clean, but yeah. I remember a lot of those X-Men issues look kind of kind of sketchy. Oh, that's Mike's cool. like, I like Iron Man. Shut up. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like I, I I can totally understand that. I I, I kind of like a little bit of sketchiness sometimes or like uh, whatever you want to call it, looseness maybe or yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so this the I mean basically Hands of the Mandarin what? That ran through Iron Man and War Machine and Force Works. Oh, Force Works. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Force did not work. Probably the that's pro- probably the low point of Len Kaminsky's run is uh, okay. Ants of the Mandarin. Like, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm about to say that the, was the animated point. series did a better adaptation of the story than the actual story. By the way, for the listeners who are listening, because I, I was I was aware of this 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 uh, arc with the Mandarin, but when Mike keeps saying the the hands of the Mandarin, at some point the Mandarin gets his hands burned off and are turned to ash and they kind of grow back and through the power of mystical whoop-de-doop-de-doo stuff he has like dragon hands now and they're more like you know monstery and stuff so like that's 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 why he's referencing that like everybody's like yeah the mandarin has hands we know like <laughs> well I'll, I'll give it up for len kaminsky because i know it was just a, a small little bit but the little bit with the mandarin did entice me like if if i didn't oh, yeah. if i didn't know any better if you guys hadn't forewarned me that it's probably the low point of the run like i i you know would have been blissfully ignorant and might have been like ooh this is this looks like it's leading somewhere interesting well i don't think that i don't know if that was just len 
But I mean, I don't know about Mike, but I read like the first, I don't know, 24 issues of Force Works. I don't even know if it fucking lasted that long. I, I, I read a lot of it. And it just, it, it, the art in that is really horrible. I don't know who did the art in that, but I never liked that art style, especially. Yeah, if, that, they don't, I don't think they ever have like a consistent art team in place for very long. Yeah. And and the writing is kind of weak. There, There's characters I don't like. I don't know what the fuck a century is, but he's old and he's got like a stupid stick and I don't know. Force Works is a is a pretty low point, and there's even like isn't there even like a really weird Wanda and Tony like romance thing? They were actually kind of like at odds like all the time because like Wanda was oh supposed is to that be, what she like, was wanting to give it was Simon she was wanting to bring Simon back right? Well no well she well Simon dies in the first yeah. like issue of Force Works and like Wanda is supposed to be the field leader of the team but Tony keeps doing is you know like I'm Iron Man and I know better so blah 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 blah, blah like sit down like but yeah okay yeah. Yeah, I don't remember like like the the dynamic. I just remember they would like snipe back at each other. Couldn't remember if it was romantic or yeah, but yeah, she wanted she wanted Simon back, but like he was dead. It wasn't like she was like you know planning on ways to bring him back, but she was like you know Simon's dead. It's your fault. You know you're a bad leader. You know, and but I'm gonna lead this team anyway because I'm a girl. <laughs> I'm a girl. But yeah, enough about Force Works. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. We should read Force Works sometime just to expose Derek to the horribleness. No, we shouldn't. No, yeah, that's, it's too bad even for any, like even to like uh, prank. I wouldn't want anybody to read Force Works. Well, it's it's like I like all those characters on that team, but it's just not like, like very. It's not a very good book, and it's like Abnett and Lanning too, but it's just a not a very good book. No, it's not. Yeah. As far as any kind of like you know final thoughts on my end. I thought this was a fun story. I think unlike mine, since this is the beginning of a chapter, you could read this as a one and done, you know, just like shave off the last, you know, page and just be like, I'm sure Tony gets back and he's fine. But as far as like the story it told, I thought it was a it was a good study for Tony because uh, one thing that like they don't let Tony Stark do a lot is think his way out of things in the movies. Like he he's like, you know, he's quick and he's like, you know, like this guy who uh solves a problem in like five seconds but at this one he takes his time you know he's like da, 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 da. and then even then he doesn't figure out the problem until it's too late and it's like that's how tony stark usually operates you know he he uh he thinks things through and he figures out the 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 solution to the problem is just too, too late to do anything at this point so i did like that our cyberspace it looked goofy but i'm with derek and you, this this is how cyberspace looked in 1994 to us. That's this is what people thought it looked like. So I can't really give shit to that. So, but I thought this was I thought it was fun. I I enjoyed the uh, characterization. I thought Tony was Tony was the perfect mix of being confident but not snarky asshole. He was just he was confident. He's just I'm Tony Stark. I'm I'm awesome. You know. That's pretty much the attitude he had in the 90s. Was like I'm Tony Stark and I'm awesome, except when I'm hitting the bottle <laughs> or I'm all pissed off because i'm paralyzed or you know whatever he had more like physical frailties than like you know attitude yeah. problems in the 90s basically yeah it's like i'm drunk oh i'm shot oh i'm in a wheelchair now oh he wasn't he wasn't crying about his like heart or trying to find a wall socket anymore at least so where is the electrical output god damn it <laughs> green lantern doesn't have this bullshit problem <laughs> So yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's it. I I'm always happy to get exposed to stuff I I haven't 
read before, and I'm, you know, like I said, to be perfectly honest, most of this Len Kaminsky run of Iron Man is all pretty new to me, so I, I do get happy when I, you know, have a chance to, to read stuff like that, because it is fun, and, and then discuss it and everything. So, yeah, so that, that pretty much is going to gonna do us. It's going to wrap up this week's episode of Comics, Motherfucker, Do You Read them? So if you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you think I'm a big duty head for saying that Tom Morgan's style is kind of scratchy, then you can send us some angry, angry emails at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We can be streamed there. We appreciate any iTunes reviews. They help get the show found. We are on all kinds of good social media like Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We appreciate all the likes, tweets, notes, all those good things. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is the story of the <laughs> It's Mike signing off from the virtual world. Virtual reality. And this is Tony. I'm having a wacky day. Are you having a wacky day? Don't make me turn you off, Tony. <laughs> you always turn me on, Derek. Lorna <laughs> 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 Marty. Until fate took a hand in the game, what a change so strange. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Pyramid is sore on It came from a glowing meteorite. Metamorpho, metamorpho, shooting cosmic rays stronger than the sun through his body and brain. And when it was done, there, yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah, 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 there stood the element metamorpho. Rearrange his molecules just like that Become anything he'd like Get the drop of a hat Be a hero, a king Yet he'd chuck it all if he Could be the one thing he just can't be Plain wreck Mason I know cause you see I'm the element man Yeah, usually, usually it was the big fat helmet, like that that old school like nineteen nineties Toy Biz Iron Man, where like for whatever reason they thought it was cool to not only like take his helmet off, but you could also take off his chest armor. So it was like it was like he ate like four thousand burritos <laughs> and like had a big fat fucking head. <laughs> and then like I still when have you, cake, but now I eat all the time. And then and then when you finally take off the 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 armor and the helmet, he's like. Look, I'm a totally in shape dude, but I've got iron arms and iron legs, and I'm like shirtless. <laughs> Yo, 
And I've got like this weird red collar on my neck, baby. You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, like, what, what good does that do anybody? <laughs> That's like this bad uh, Bruce Wayne who turns into Batman figures from like the 90s. It's yeah. like, I am totally Bruce Wayne with like a, like a, uh, a turtleneck in my real head. <laughs> and for some reason, tights and bad boots and like spiky gloves. <laughs> 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 